From the studios of Advancing Vibrant Communities in Modesto, California, this is Lighthouse Live Radio on the Lighthouse Live International Podcasting Network. Welcome to Lighthouse Live, the radio voice of advancing vibrant communities. Our mission is to motivate believers to move out from the four walls of the church to personally serve the needs of their neighborhoods. Get ready for a no-holds-barred, honest look at the Christian lifestyle the way Christ commanded it to be. All that and more coming right up here on Lighthouse Live. And good evening to you, wherever you may be. Pastor Mike Douglas here. Welcome to Lighthouse Live on the Lighthouse Live International Podcasting Network. Coming to you from beautiful downtown Modesto, which, ladies and gentlemen, are you ready? Here we go. Headline news. Modesto is no longer the number one auto theft capital of the world. Some little city in Texas. Uh, we're, we are now number, we're number two. Isn't that great? Yeah. So, uh, but anyway, uh, (laughs) you know, you thank God for the little things in life. And and I just want to tell you, you know, I grew up in, in, uh, in Pasadena and, and thought I'd never leave the, L.A. area, San Gabriel Valley, and, and lived in Sacramento for a couple. I didn't even know what a Modesto was. <laughs> now you, know, you 30 are. Years. Now I are one. <laughs> and, you know, this is a great place to be. It really, God's mm-hmm. doing some cool stuff here, and, sure. and I wouldn't want to be uh, wouldn't want to be anywhere else. Well, Maui right now sounds good, but you know, <laughs> heaven on, would on, be pretty cool. Heaven would be really cool too. <laughs> but you know, Modesto for the moment is is just a just a great place to be. Again, uh, Mike Douglas with you, along with our producer and co-host Elaine Harlan, and our Prayer intercessor, the inimitable Mr. Owl, Al Ramsey, with us as well. Our special guest tonight, mm-hmm. been a couple of years, I think, yes. uh, Dennis Whitman from yes. Teen Challenge. Yes. And, uh, you, you know, and one, one of these great things, Elaine, what, what's cool about being part of the body of Christ mm-hmm. is that you meet people that just bully you over. You know, and, and you hear their stories, and I think we were on the 11th Hour television program together. That's Isn't been that a while. I met, with yeah. you? I yeah. met you first there, yeah. I think. Uh, and, and you notice I'm not on television anymore because they said, Mike, you got a face for radio. And, uh, so. and with that, let's check in with our friends from Voice of the Martyrs. Hey, what's up? This is Michael Tate with news about some more real-life Jesus freaks from the Voice of the Martyrs. On February 4, a small group Bible study in a home in Morocco was raided by more than 60 gendarmes. Arrested were 11 believers, including one American, two non-believers, and five children. A contact with the Voice of the Martyrs said, It's the first time the Moroccan government used this size of a legion to attack a small Christian meeting. They kept repeating that the attack was ordered personally by the new Moroccan justice minister and by the highest level general of the gendarmerie. BOM encourages you to write in protest to the Moroccan embassy. For specifics, go online to persecution.com. And back with you live here on Lighthouse Live. You know, it just uh, reminds us, we, we read in the New Testament of the persecution 
that uh, that Peter and the apostles and Paul and Stephen went through and, and were kind of um, distanced from that here in America, you know. But ar- around the world, that stuff's happening all the time. And, and I encourage you to keep our brothers and sisters uh, part of the persecuted church uh, in, in in prayer. Uh, neat story today. Can I tell my story? Is tell that your right? story, uh, Mrs. Please. Producer Man. Yes, all right. Go ahead. All right. I always check in, Dennis. Yeah. You know, <laughs> That's I, what I'm supposed to do. I may look stupid, uh. but uh, I, I know. What's going on here? Uh, by the way, also joining us in the studio is Leslie from... Uh, <laughs> Lindsay. Le- Lindsay. It's okay. It's all right. It's, it's, it's all right. Lindsay. It happens. Okay. You know, this is a test. it's the memory it's thing that's bothering me. <laughs> that's why those me. AARP people still contact you. You know, I'm still ticked off about that. <laughs> I know you are. <laughs> um, I didn't ask for the AARP mailers. <laughs> and, you know, for five years now, they've been sending them to me, Dennis. <laughs> And, you know, it's not that, like, I'm proud or anything, but I'm just not ready to be part of AARP. You know, you know what I mean? Uh, did you get those? Dennis no, you get some, too. Yes, did you get so those does mailings? Elaine. All right. <laughs> so does I Mr. Know, Al, if he's honest. I know Lindsay doesn't get AARP mailings, right? Not yet. No. She's a long ways away. No, you stay away, AARP, from Lindsay for a while. Anyway, Lindsay is part of the yes. University of Phoenix. Yay. And we are so jazzed to have you folks aboard, Lindsay, because uh, you you just added a new dimension Mm -hmm. to advancing vibrant communities and uh, had the privilege of speaking there a couple times. And and they came and volunteered anyway, which is an amazing amazing thing. But anyway, University of Phoenix, we we, we love you folks, and uh, just thank you for being uh, part of us here. And even if I call you the wrong name, you know, that's that's, uh, just, you know, the senility's already sitting in. And, you know, around here they say, oh, Pastor Mike, it'll be okay. What was I talking about? Oh, the little story. The story. Can you remember it? No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) You know, the short-term memory really is is going bad. No, this afternoon, you know, I, I finished doing a funeral. Yes. And, uh, and, and it had, had rushed off to, uh, check a post office box. And, and here comes, uh, a guy just, you know, kind of trudging down the road. He's in, in dirty sweats and, you know, maybe four or five teeth. That, that was it. And, and a lot of alcohol on his, on his breath, you know, and he comes up to me and, and he'd just been to the bank, you know, a couple steps away to the ATM and, and, and he, he couldn't talk very well, thinking maybe he had a stroke and, uh, so he's showing me no money, no money, you know, in his, in his account. And so I said, well, are, are you hungry? Yeah. Yeah. I said, okay, well, uh, he says $5. I said, well, I'm not going to give you money, but I'll, I'll, I'll go get you something to eat. So behind us, a couple of fast food restaurants. So I look across the parking lot and I said, do you want to walk over there and, and get you something to eat? He said, yeah. I said, you want to go to McDonald's? No. Now, listen, Madonna, don't be sending me cards and letters, okay? I'm, I'm just saying this is how it went down, okay? So I said, you want to go to McDonald's? And he says, shakes his head, no, no, no. I said, well, where do you want to go? And he goes, eh. I said, I, I can't quite understand you. So he, he I, I'm doing this like the people at home can see my hands. You know, let me hold my hands close to the mic so you can see what I'm doing. Anyway, he, he puts his hands uh, by his head, and, and, and he pulls his hands away from his head. like He says, big head, big head. What do you mean, big hit? And so they clicked with me. You want to go to the Jack in the Box? Yeah. 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 So I said, you mean Jack in the Box? He says, yeah. You know, right. I'm thinking of writing a letter to Jack in the Box saying, why, why don't you make a good commercial, you know, about this big head dude. <laughs> anyway, so. Uh, to, get him to, a little Jack in the Box head? One of those little heads that he could. I hadn't yeah, thought no. about that. Oh, cool. that you know, I can't time. remember people's names. I can't remember to buy them little heads. <laughs> I mean, you know what? I would make a lousy. Next time. Headhunter, wouldn't I? <laughs> 
next time you get them out. Shrink those little things. Get them, get them, I should. Have, I got in a little. You'll do that next time. I, I will you? do that. We'll do that next That's why we have staff, Dennis. <laughs> <laughs> Keep us in line so that we remember to call Lindsay by her right name. But you and, know, uh, that was such all these, a sweet uh, all these, thing for you to Well, and, and his name was David. You, you know, and, and I asked him, well, David, you know, when's the last time you ate? Mm-hmm. Two days. Oh. You know, two days. And uh, so, well, where'd you go? And I, th- I think what he said was, you know, the mission. Uh, good friends, Barb and, and uh, yeah, Vern yes. Deathridge down there at the at the mission. But uh, you, you know, you it, it's those things that God gives us. Absolutely. You know, where where you can be Jesus with skin on. That's it. Yes. And yes. just a little bit of time Amen. and a little bit of effort, mm. and uh, brightened up his day. And you know, prayed with him, and and hopefully, the, you know, God will use that. And and. Uh, uh, enrich his life, awesome. but you know, friends, we, you got to watch for the opportunity. Yes. You know, so many times, and we 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 walk away from those dudes, and you know, we don't don't want to be bothered. Mm-hmm. But uh, you know, God God has some divine appointments uh, in store for us. So, okay, well, uh, let's not talk about my memory loss. I do remember Brad Dacus is up next. It's time for the Legal Edge: a look at your rights as a Christian, a parent, and a citizen. And now, with a look at what's happening on the legal front. The president of the Pacific Justice Institute, Brad Dacus. The U.S. Court of Appeals for the D.C. Circuit upheld the constitutionality of public prayers at public events. Michael Newdow filed a lawsuit challenging Pastor Rick Warren, who had been chosen by President Obama to give the invocation last year. After PGI Chief Counsel defended Pastor Warren, the lower court allowed the prayer to continue. This appellate court victory solidifies that earlier ruling giving pastors and laymen confidence that it's okay for individuals to pray at public events. After all, religious freedom isn't freedom if people are only allowed to pray in private. I'm Brad Dacus. To find out more about The Legal Edge, call 916-857-6900 or log on at pacificjustice.org. And we're back with you on Lighthouse Live. Time to take a look at the Volunteer Center of the United Way. The American Cancer Society Going Strong Relay for Life. It's a life-changing event that brings together more than 3.5 million people celebrating those who have battled cancer, remembering loved ones who lost to the disease and fighting back against a disease that takes too much. And they are celebrating uh, June 5th and 6th in Lodi, June 12th and 13th in Chowchilla, June 26th and 27th in Stockton, August 28th and 29th in Lathrop, and October 9th and 10th in Atwater. Volunteers are needed. Uh, needed uh, first day to set up, help take down sales and luminaries that take place at, in the evening. Beautiful, beautiful um, time for uh, everybody to take part in. I know Pastor Mike's children yeah, you know do what's this cool every about, year. What's cool about the luminarias at, at night, yes. and you, you're familiar with those little paper bags with the, the candle inside, candle right? Yeah. Very, very uh, and and what, what you can do is you, you sponsor one, and it can either be your design, and, and you put the name of someone either who is going through a cancer uh, treatment or, or someone that, that uh, has has died of cancer mm-hmm. that you want to, and it it's just a cool thing, and and kids just all over that's a mm-hmm. you know all through the night twenty four hours, and uh, just is a really good way to support the American Cancer Society and and the tremendous work that they do. I'll go out and put my mother's name on yeah, one of those bags. Yeah, very very special. American Red Cross Stanislaus Chapter Fourth Annual Heroes Breakfast. Uh, ordinary people, extraordinary compassion. Do they have hero sandwiches. Uh, no, never mind. <laughs> 
<laughs> Wednesday, June 2nd at 7.30 in the morning at the Doubletree Hotel in Modesto. This event honors local citizens who have made a difference in our community as they are recognized in 12 categories, including Good Samaritan, Adult, Senior Youth, Law Enforcement, Professional Rescue, and the Medical, Military, Workplace, Education, even the Animal World. Yes, they are in there too. Spirit of the Red Cross in, and Stanislaw Hero of the Year. Now, Can I nominate my rescue goats? I Will think you should. Freddie and Patches should be in there for yeah. sure. Volunteers uh, ages 15 years and up are needed to help out with setting up, greeting the attenders, uh, cleanups uh, between 6 and 10. The American Red Cross provides disaster, uh, helping to prepare for, responding to emergencies, support military and their families, and conduct safety and first aid classes for our community. Wonderful, wonderful organization. And Stanislaw County Area Agency on Aging and Veteran Services, where you can serve to be an advocate for older and disabled adults with a health insurance counseling and advocacy program. Uh, it's with HICAP. And uh, mature volunteers are needed to provide counseling and advocacy services. Having a tough time with that word tonight. I don't know why. Insurance, long-term care issues, and appeals of claim denials for program clients. Volunteers should be 18 years of age. Yeah, I think you can make it out. Good well, what, community what, skills. What let me out? Let me out of it was the mature volunteer. Yeah, that, yeah, you not, need to have a concern not, not for, for the needs of the elderly. I think we all. Closely. So what are you saying? <laughs> Just because I get the AARP, you got it started. Uh, you started it. Uh, you need it. to commit, Dennis. You better you, commit you better to enter counseling this. clients. <laughs> I'm not getting in it. <laughs> on a regular <laughs> basis. And are you, you trying to finish to, that? You need to pass a background check, and I certainly hope we can all do <laughs> that. Probably not tonight. <laughs> <laughs> not tonight. Not going to happen. The Area Agency on Aging is a wonderful organization, and we just love them. Amen. They provide leadership awesome. and services uh, which protect and enhance the quality of life that relate to older persons and persons with functional impairments like our entire staff here at ABC. You have any questions? I qualify can, tonight, I think. <laughs> I do, uh, too. Actually. Call Barbara Borba. She's the lady in the know over there at 209-524-1307, extension 113, or shoot her an email. She likes that, too. Bborba at uastand.org. And uh, here on the ABC front, we have a visually impaired woman who needs help with painting. And actually, I think we may have somebody who might want to help because our lovely Lindsay here was answering the phone today and someone called in and said, hey, I think I can do that. She has all the stuff, the paint, the brushes and all that. It's the kitchen and trimming and the living room. And she just needs some loving time and talent from a volunteer. And that's the kind of stuff that we can connect right. our volunteers yeah. with doing here. We do need a wheelchair for a man who was hit by a car. And the story mm. is here that he wasn't hit just once. He's been hit twice, not by the same car. But, I mean, this is just an is incredible thing. Right? This is the kind of stuff that we get to, when you spend time with these people, you hear about this kind of stuff that happens to them. Anyway, they need a wheelchair. So if you have one to donate, please give us a call. We still need beds. Yes, refrigerators. Give us a call for those donated items at 209 544-9571, and we will get those items to where they need to go. We'll make those connections. Well, as I think we said, it's been eons <laughs> since Dennis Whitman has been here with us, and the eons have been good to you, brother. 
<laughs> Welcome back to Lighthouse Live. It's good to be back. Oh, great to have you great with to us. Great to have awesome. you. And uh, in a new place here with us, and I think you gave us a stamp of approval oh, when you walked nice. in. It's yeah. nice. Yeah. I well, like it. Peaceful. It is peaceful. It is. And, and you come in, it's like a living room. You know, and, and uh, Lindsay's been working all day here, right? Yeah, she's been here most of the day, yes. yeah. Yeah, and, and by the way, if, if you're part of the University of Phoenix uh, here in the Modesto area, we'd love you to come mm-hmm. and do some of your hours, uh, you know, with Absolutely. us. Just uh, let, let your uh, administrators know, and and uh, we give them all kinds of experience. We do. Enduring radio shows and answering phones. And all kinds of had them out there with uh, the gangbangers, Um uh, what well, now Lindsay's well, going, oh, wait a minute. I think you're scaring her, Pastor. No, but really, I mean, you got, <laughs> no, was, we're out there doing, you know, uh, helping re- reduce gang violence and stuff. They yes. got to experience, oh, a wide breadth of, uh, yes. wide breadth of experience and, you and, betcha. uh, which Dennis has, you know, and I, that's one of the, the stories, you know, I think one of the incredible things about the body of Christ Lane are the stories that come up of the incredible way that that Christ does transform lives. The experience. And then and uses we, us. Yes, Amen. We do not want to skim over your testimony Amen. by any means. And Dennis, if you would just, because our listeners, did we mention we have listeners? <laughs> Hopefully, <laughs> we have listeners. You're just pointing out I can't re- even remember where the listeners are. You know, it's not but my we night. we do, and we want to thank they you, They are all over friends, the world. Wherever you In places we can't even pronounce. Or, or spell. Or spell. Right. <laughs> I'll remember <laughs> in this case tonight. Fine. <laughs> Thank you for listening wherever you are, <laughs> all the ships at sea. <laughs> but this does, seriously. Any port in a storm, right? <laughs> yeah. It goes all over the world, streams all over the world. <laughs> and, uh, so, you know, somebody in Bangladesh may not know your story, Dennis. So, <laughs> Or they may. I don't know. I mean, but uh, just give us, you have such an incredible story of, of, of God's mercy. Mercy and, and His grace. Uh, to just give that us that thumbnail sketch of what, what God has done in your life. Well, I grew up in a home that, uh, from the outside, it looked okay, Pastor Mike. It looked, uh, you know, my dad uh, was a middle class guy. He was a, a foreman at Douglas Aircraft. So on the outside, I played baseball, football, and it, it looked good, but. Uh, he was an alcoholic. He terrorized us. And at an early age, I was looking for a way out. Started drinking alcohol, got arrested a couple of times, went to a place in Pleasanton. It was a job corps, but really didn't go there to get my life together. I went there to escape CYA. That's California Youth Authority. It's a young person's prison. Uh Got kicked out because they found out all I was doing was getting tattoos and going over the fence. It was an old Air Force Hmm. base. We'd go over the fence and get alcohol, and we'd go chase women, actually. And so they kicked me out, started smoking marijuana. First time I smoked it, it didn't get me high, but the second time it got me high. I got the giggles, the wiggles. Anybody that did marijuana, they know what that is, the munchies and the crunchies. In other words, I got hungry. And just couldn't stop laughing. Mm. And I realized that it gave me an escape away from the madness of my home. Because hearing my dad beat my mother and Mm. going to sleep crying, uh, dad just didn't do it. And so pretty much that opened the door. And 
through marijuana, people that want to legalize marijuana for some money, mm -hmm. they're out of their minds. Mm -hmm. People that tell you that marijuana isn't an open door, it isn't a gateway drug, they're mentally challenged. And I don't mean that in a bad way. I'm not trying to tear anybody, but they don't know what they're talking about. If I took them to prison, if I took them to our program, if I took them to the streets with hardcore drug addicts, it would be like a broken record. I'd say, where did you start? People don't start with heroin. Very few. There are some that start with methamphetamines or cocaine, but very right. few. It would be like a broken record. It would be marijuana. Marijuana, marijuana, alcohol, alcohol, marijuana. It's a broken record. That is a gateway drug. Marijuana convinced me. As I begin to smoke it, one of the things that happened is I lost my fear of drugs. Then I started uh, messing around with uppers. That's benzedrine, dexedrine, methadrine, cocaine. Started doing those drugs. Then I, I started downers. They're just the opposite. Uh, uppers, they get you all up. Downers take you down. And I started mixing them. Uh, but as I started doing that, I got in a crowd that was very, very violent. And I had violence at home, and the next thing I know, I'm in a, you know, I'm, I'm with bikers and lowriders and guns and stuff. And so I got involved. I, I looked around, and really what I wanted to do was I wanted to party. I wanted to get high. Mm. I wanted to do drugs. I wanted to do rock and roll, and I, and I wanted, you know, and I'll be gentle here, but this is where I was at. I wanted women. Mm-hmm. And so I saw, I remember seeing these guys, uh, I, I saw this group of people, and I remember they had flowers in their hair. That was the men. Hmm. And so I thought, man, if we get in a dispute, what are they going to do, pull out their flower and beat me to death with it? <laughs> and, and I began to, to, to understand their mentality was to really just get high and have a good time and pass their women around. That's, you know... Trying to be gentle right. here, but that's sure. the reality of the thing, and that's really the whole thing that I wanted. And so I got involved with them, and as I got involved with them, uh, I got involved not directly with Timothy Leary. He was a professor that began to experiment with LSD, and he had a group called uh, the Brotherhood of Eternal Love. And I got involved with them in Laguna. And one of their guys took me up to the mountains for what is called uh, a psychedelic experience. Timothy Leary translated the Tibetan Book of the Dead into psychedelic experience and psychedelic prayers. What we did is we went up Takwas Falls. It's a huge mountain. We went to Television Rock. The reason that we called it Television Rock, they had a waterfall, and there was all kinds of designs on this rock. And when we took acid, it became a TV. Mm, <laughs> we yeah. saw whatever we wanted to see. And what we did is, is we dropped the acid together, and the one guy that took us up, he was called the guide or the guru. And what we would do is we'd lay on the slab, the rock, and he would read the psychedelic experience to us, or the prayers, and we would go deeper and deeper into these trances. What were we trying to get to? We were trying to get to the third eye. The third eye is the eye of enlightenment, and also when you hit the third eye, there is the white light comes in. And what are we trying? What try, what state were we trying to get into? The state of nirvana. What does that mean? The state of nothingness. And so that I I connected with them, went on an experience, and they also, they're taking you to an ego death. 
What is an ego death? It is to try to get you to get to that third eye is to empty everything out of you. Everything that you've learned to kill that ego mm. uh, uh, and to let that light, to let that source. We thought it was God. Later on, we found out it wasn't God. And so when I came down from that mountain, I had saw the white light and I had experienced the power up there. So I began to sell LSD. I let all these other drugs go. And in the hippie movement, what was pure was LSD, uh, magic mushroom, uh, peyote buttons, hashish, that's another form of marijuana, and really dedicated myself to that. Uh, then I started selling the LSD, and somebody came up to me with a friend. I asked them if that friend was a police officer. They said no. I sold them uh, some LSD. I think it was just a tab. And they didn't arrest me on the spot because what they did, he was a snitch. That's somebody that tells on somebody. And they took him to different people. And a month later, they had secret indictments and they arrested me. I went to prison for, it was uh, one year to five. Because at the time, they just changed, the, just made it illegal. But what they did is they made a mistake. And they made possession one to ten and sales one to five. And I thought, man, I'm sure glad I sold it. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? Yeah. Wow. And so when they took me to the pro board, it was a one to five. That means <clears throat> I had to do at least a year and no more than five. Well, it was a part of my religion. So when they took me to the board, I said, put me in my cage and leave me alone because you're not going to tell me. And you only gave me five years, so I'll do all five of the years. And I did all five. Hmm. They brought me back. Uh, about two and a half years later, and they said, uh, they started talking to me, and I said, did I stutter last time? Put me back in the cage and leave me alone. And so they put me back in the cage, and I got out five years later. But when I got out, the Brotherhood of Eternal Love, we used to go to their places, and, man, they'd have these big old pipes, and we would smoke them. We'd smoke hashish and marijuana, and they were passing their women around in peace and love. When I got out, they were kicking doors in. Mm. They were heroin addicts, and the whole scene had went sour. It really went sour on that ultimate concert, that, uh, that Speedway, Altamont. And it really went bad there. That's when all the air came out of the hippie movement, and pretty much nobody knew. I found out later that's the devil was fueling all that. You want peace, you want love, you want other religions. He gave it to us all, but in the end, Woodstock. he took it all away. Yeah, Woodstock, Woodstock was a good one. <clears throat> Altamont was they they hired the hell's angels to come in. And it was like the devil was saying, you played around, now I'm going to show you what this is all about. The Hell's Angel killed somebody that night. Mm -hmm. They were beaten. They scared the, the, the rock people to death. But if you're going to sing that rock and roll, you need to know what it's all about. Mm -hmm. And the Hell's Angels came in and said, this is what it's all about. It's from hell. And they beat people. And finally, at the end of the night, they killed somebody. And there's even mm -hmm. a, a movie on it. But anyway, that... Uh, uh, when I got out, I saw that. I continued to use drugs, but it was just to kind of maintain. Lost my brother out of the back of a pickup truck. I was in the front with a driver. He snorted some angel dust. Angel dust is just animal tranquilizer. We called it angel dust or PCP. 
but he went out the back of the pickup truck. We don't know if he took his own life or he thought he could fly because when you get on that drug, you do crazy, crazy things. I went back to my mother and I told her, you know, uh, I didn't know what happened. He just went out the back of the pickup truck. I'd already done time, so I'd become hardened. And it wasn't that drugs were a problem. I just said to myself, my brother is weak mm-hmm. and just kept on using the drugs. My, my, my mother kicked me out of the house probably, uh, I don't know if it was several months after that, but a little while after that, she kicked me out. I hung on the streets for about three months, finally got a place to stay, had my brother come and live with me uh, in a little motel room. But before he came to live with me, I got jumped. And my eye got beat up pretty bad. And then every time I got high, that convict came out of me and I wanted to kill. I wanted to not just go and beat these kids up. I wanted to stomp their fingers. Mm. I wanted to kick their teeth out and tell them what you're looking at when you play. You want to play, you're going to have to pay. But I fought it. In fact, I even went to their door and knocked on their door, went into their house because I was trying to convince myself not to kill. I didn't want to go back to prison. And I could see the fear in their eyes because I said, I'm looking at you now. Why don't you come at me now? And, and they didn't move because I was still trying to talk myself out of killing them. And, and this murder spirit would come on me. And then my brother came and he had that angel dust, put a $10 line, a $10 line. They can't see it out there. It's just a little line. And what we did is we chopped it up, took a dollar bill, uh, got it where we could just snort that right to our nostrils. Why did we snort it? So we'd get high immediately. And... He put another $10 line out. I snorted it and went crazy for two days and two nights. And I could handle my drugs, but I was out of my mind. I saw, I remember going outside and seeing prison bars. I looked up at the sun and I thought, why am I going back to prison? I got other people selling. I'm not selling the drugs. And finally in that state, I was listening to some rock and roll music and my mind was just burning. My brother came back into the room with two friends, and they started talking to me. They had roach clips. That's where you hold the marijuana cigarette real small so you can get every little bit of out without burning your fingers. And they, were just, they had hashish pipes, and they were just talking to me, and I just wanted them out of there. And the thing that I learned in prison is just to look at people and not talk because they were always scared of my eyes. I don't know why. I get quiet, and they just say my eyes scare them. So two of them left, but my brother stayed in the room, and he said, what do you want me to do? You want me to stay, Denny, or you want me to leave? And I couldn't talk, and he shut the door, and I went towards him because in my mind was, they're going to try to hurt me again. This time, they're going to get hurt. And I just exploded, and I remember seeing my brother's eyes meet my eyes. He knew he was going to die, and I knew I was going to kill him. Mm. And I beat him to death with my hands and my feet. And when I, I won't go into it here, but when I went went and began to beat him, I went into three different visions. I'm not going to get into it here. But when I came out of those visions, each vision was real. And I completely, you know, it wasn't like I was killing my brother. I was in the vision and I was seeing different things. And when I came out, I remember that my foot was going up and down. And I remember I was in the corner of the room. And I remember I was wondering, well, why is my foot going up and down? And I remember when I opened my eyes, I saw red all over the walls and I thought I wonder what that is and I I, I I followed where my foot was and I looked down and my brother's head was crushed and I was stomping his head 
And I remember saying to myself, I said, you know, this is just a bad trip. And so I remember going into the to the little room. It wasn't actually a bedroom and pulling the door. And I remember just fighting demons, things that most people can't even understand. I've been fighting them for a long time. And I went in there and just was fighting all night long. And I remember as I as I opened that little door, I thought to myself, everything's going to be okay. But as I opened the little door, there was my brother, and his head was crushed, and rigor mortis had set in. He was stiff. And so I called the police. I said I didn't know who killed him, and they came out, and there was no really marks on me except just a little bit on my hands. So they arrested me and tried me for first-degree murder but found me guilty of manslaughter and then tried me again because the people that were snitching on me, they didn't really see it, uh, they, there were holes in their stories. So they tried me again, found me guilty again of involuntary manslaughter. And they sent me to San Quentin. Now, San Quentin was the end of the world. There was no Pelican Bay. There was no Conquering Penitentiary. In fact, they built those two because Folsom and San Quentin was so violent. When I went there, they had just killed somebody in the chow hall. They slaughtered him right in the chow hall before they could even get a shot off. They stabbed him from two sides, and by the time they got the gun up to shoot him, they dropped the uh, the, the knives and said, Boss, don't shoot. It's mm. over. Mm. It's done. Just take us in, but don't shoot. So that was the atmosphere that I was going in. And somebody, as I was sitting there, a guy that I knew that I did time with before, his name was John. He came up the tier and he started telling me about Jesus Christ. And, and, and I thought, oh, jeez, man, the guy got weak on me. And, and he's telling me, you know, here's a Bible. I said, you know what, give me the Bible and get away from the cell door. Because I'm thinking, this guy's just weak, man. He's, he can't do his time, so he turns to Jesus. Well, he gave me this Bible, and I started reading it, and I read it for three days. And, and as I as I begin to read it, it just, I, I just it felt like there was a fire inside of me, and I just yes. started burning. I, I, I got to the yes. place where I couldn't even hardly go to the bathroom because <laughs> I was shaking so bad. <laughs> And, and, I, and I remember thinking, what is going on? And the guy couldn't get back to me because some more violence had broken out. When there's some racial violence, what they do is lock the whole penitentiary down. And the guy that got killed before, it was a racial killing. And so there was some more racial violence. It was going back and forth. So they locked it down. I didn't know that you could just ask the Lord to come into your life. And so for three days, it was like... They tell you when you die that you're going to see everything. For three days, I just kept seeing everything that I've ever done wrong. And, and you know what? This time I couldn't justify it because of what my dad did. And finally, the guy came back and he said, do you want to accept the Lord? And I remember I almost broke my knees trying, uh, getting down to the floor and saying, I don't know what accepting Jesus is, but whatever you got on me, get it off of me. And whatever I got to say to get it off of me, get it off of me. And I remember saying the sinner's prayer. And it was like when I said the sinner's prayer, it was like I had three deep sighs with everything inside of me just emptying out. And, and the main reason it was so bad is because as in those three days, one of the things that really struck me as I read the Bible, it got worse and worse because I could actually understand the Bible. They gave me an easy to read Bible. I began to realize that there was something really wrong. And then it got to the place where it said the devil will come as an angel of light. And that's what destroyed me. And that's where I came. And, and when I accepted the Lord, I remember I accepted the Lord 
And I got up and I just kind of stood there mm. because before I went down, all I had ever known in my life was darkness. All I had ever, even when there was a nice day, there was always a haze around it because I always had to go back home to that violence. And there was no haze. Mm. And I remember I just kind of walked around that prison cell thinking, what happened? I would get up, I would sit down, I would get up and sit down. And then finally the next day, I remember it was shower time. They took me from the fifth tier. They took me down on both sides of me. I had guys that tatted all up, you know, swastikas. Mm -hmm. uh, they got little teardrops coming mm -hmm. from their eyes with little buckets catching the teardrops, all kinds of things, naked women, everything. Mm -hmm. And I'm sitting there, and a little ray of light comes through a window. It's like a dungeon, and you got the, uh, the, the guy that walks the catwalk with a gun over you. And a little ray of light came in there and hit me, and I remember saying to myself, I said, man, it's a wonderful day. And then I remember saying to myself, man, you got to, you can't say that to these guys around you. What did you do? What did Jesus do? Get you, are you crazy, man? You can't talk that stuff. But that's what really happened. And from that mm. point, for two years, they begin to disciple me and tell me to get the word into my life. Psalms 119, 9 and 11. Wherewith shall a young man cleanse his way by taking heed thereto? According to thy word, have I hid my heart that I might not sin against thee? Mm -hmm. They told me in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. That's Old right. things have passed That's away. Right. Behold, all things become mm -hmm. new. Mm -hmm. They told me when I accepted Jesus Christ, John 1, 12, But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. So for two years, they discipled me. And when they let me out, I, I knew that I needed to go somewhere, so I went to Teen Challenge. And we're going to hear all about Teen Amen. Challenge in just a minute because you were free and you were free indeed. Newsboys a few years ago put out a song that embraces that freedom, Dennis. One can experience in Christ. That's exactly what you did. And it's certainly true in addictions and all the demons that were chasing you. This song is called I Am Free. That's what you are, brother. I'm Lighthouse Live. Let's listen and we'll be right back.
free on Lighthouse Live with Pastor Mike, Elaine, and Dennis Whitman. Free, yes. Amen. You know, Dennis, uh, our God is a God of possibilities, isn't he? Or impossibilities, man. Impossibilities. And um, I think one of the great things about your story is not only the love, grace, and mercy, and compassion of, of, of God, but a sense of humor as well. Amen. Now, here you are strung out. I mean, you're doing the Timothy O'Leary trip and, and all of that, and, and, you know, your brother's stomped, and, and you're, in, you're in prison, and, and, and you wind up ministering at Teen Challenge. Now, connect the dots for us. First of all, a lot of people around the world may not be familiar with, with uh, Teen Challenge. Can you give us just a thumbnail description of Teen Challenge, and then let's talk about what's happening right now in this area. In 1958, David Wilkerson read an article in the Life magazine about seven guys, seven kids that killed another kid. And when they ran through the park, they put their hands through their hair with blood in it and saying, we really messed up that dude. So David Wilkerson went to the streets, began to preach the gospel. He led some of them to the Lord, but they went right back out and did the same things they did before. So he went to the church, got a home, and began to disciple them, teach them how to let the power of God in their lives. Mm -hmm. We started with gangs, but then moved in to people who are drugs, gangs, or whatever. Teen Challenge is all about dealing with people with life-controlling problems. Mm -hmm. I'm not trying to get somebody off of drugs. What Teen Challenge is all about The heartbeat of Teen Challenge is Jesus Christ. Yes. What I'm trying to do, because I can't get anybody off of drugs, when they went down that road, the devil gets a hold of them, the only one that can really destroy the devil. And I'm not just talking about getting somebody off of drugs. We want to give them a new life. The only one that can do that is Jesus Christ. So I'm not so much going in there with all these drug programs. What I'm doing is trying to connect them to Jesus Christ. And our program is designed in the morning to help them to learn how to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. When they have a relationship with Jesus Christ, hope is going to flood their hearts. Jeremiah 29, 11, For I know the thoughts I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace, not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. What we're trying to show them, when you connect with Jesus Christ, he's not going to call you a bum or a drug addict. He's going to call you son. You're going to get love. He's going to tell you about all the possibilities, what he can do if you allow him to fill you with the Holy Spirit. And once you get connected with Jesus Christ and you begin to hear what he's telling you and you begin to see that he wants to use you and wherever you've been and use you, you get involved with his life and you start getting involved with the church and in the love love and in the mercy and in the grace pretty soon I remember somebody tapped me on the shoulder and said man are you getting tempted using drugs and I had to sit there and think for 15 minutes and I said you know what don't don't be proud and finally I said you know what I'm not even thinking about that mm-hmm. I've got a whole new life mm-hmm. and I get I'm wrapped up in that new life that's what teen challenge is all about is introducing somebody to a whole new life a relationship with Jesus Christ, and we walk beside them and disciple them. Now, our center is a men's center, but in Northern California alone, we have women and children's centers. We have women's centers. We have adolescent boys' center. We're working on an adolescent girls' center. We've got a family center. We're just out there helping people with life-controlling problems. It's huge. Dennis, I have heard testimonies Mm. all across the country 
of people who have gone through Teen Challenge and have been successful and just like you say, falling in love with the Lord. There's 225 centers in the United States alone, and there's a thousand in other countries. We have what is called Global Teen Challenge. Wow. We actually have Muslim countries calling us and actually knowing that we preach the gospel, but asking us to come in and help with the drug problem. Wow. It's tremendous. You know, I think there's two uh, key things, uh, Dennis, in, in what you said just a minute ago. One is, you know, the lie is there's no future and no hope. You know, a lot of people live with that. I mean, that that's their future. I mean, gangbangers around here, you know, don't don't think they're going to live past 21. Mm-hmm. It's just the way it is. You know, so uh, the lie is there's no future, no hope. And, and you're right, only Christ brings light onto that, exposes that for what it is, and then provides the real future and hope. And, and the other thing that I think is really critical, uh, Dennis, and, and I hope people are catching it as they're listening to this interview, you're not trying to clean people up to get them ready for Jesus. You're meeting them where they are, as they are, where, where Jesus met people, where they were, as they were, and then the stuff happens from there. And you know, that's, and I think oftentimes in our, in our Western, um, churchiness, we, we, we miss that sometimes. Churchiness, that's yeah. good. What, you like that? Yeah, I like that. Yeah. Can we keep that? That was good. Yeah, was that good? Churchiness. You know, I mean, Jesus meets us right where we are. We don't have to get cleaned right. up from. He meets us right where we are, as we are, and he begins the good work from that point. And you know what? That's where he met me in that prison cell. Yeah. Yeah. And you know what? He didn't, and, and, and I've got a King James Bible. Mm-hmm. But he didn't come to me speaking King James language. He didn't say thou. He, you know what he said? He said, you're in some big trouble, man. You're in deep weeds. <laughs> you're in some, and he said, let me tell you Literally something. Literally weeds. Yeah, he said, you don't have to worry about parole. He said, there's either heaven or hell. And, and let me tell you, Dennis, he said, I know you did that five years. He said, you don't have to worry about parole down there. I mean, this is actually thoughts that were coming to my mind. Because mm-hmm. once you're down there, there is no parole. He meets us where we're at. And what we do at Teen Challenge, they don't have to be a Christian to come into the program. We have a a month to look at them and them to look at us. But then if they're going to move on, they have to be committed to Christ. You don't have any advocate down there. No. No. And this brings up another point. Uh, I would imagine somehow, some way, that the family has to get involved and, and... how, how do you deal with the family out there? Because there may be some influences out there that are, you know, sucking them back to, to, to the old nature. And uh, how, how do you deal with the family of these guys and, and gals that you're dealing with? Most of the families that come are not on drugs themselves. Sometimes they are. And, and right now we have a woman, Margot Ely, that helps work with the families. And, and, and what we're doing for a long time, we couldn't deal too much with the families because we were just consumed with dealing with the guys. But what we're doing now is they, we, we, we talk to the guy, have him sign a paper where Margot can send a letter and we send a letter to the family saying, if you want to contact us and we'll walk you through what we're doing with your loved one and we'll give you whatever you need. We'll send you the material. We'll let you, you know, there's a family day where they come on. We kind of just make a contact with them, meet them where they are at and just kind of love them and then let God open them up and kind of just go from there. We had one guy come in where we never were able to work with his family, but we worked with him. He did have his kids come out and they saw such a change. They were divorced. They're now remarried. He's out of the program and he's raising his kids. 
Amen. And so we never really even were able, she didn't even want to talk. So what we do is kind of let God lead us because some of the family members are really burnt out. Can we talk just a bit about the academic and vocational training that you have available? Yeah. Now, there's two tracks that we have. In the morning time, it's all about the classes. We have a, a, a devotion. We have a time of worship. In the morning, we have a time of lecture. Uh, we have different materials that help them uh, learn different things, how to pray, what faith is, and different things like that. Then we have uh, personal studies for new Christians where it's kind of a one-on-one thing. Hmm. We really kind of uh, uh, talk to them and have them fill out some things to see where they're really struggling, and we have things that are designed. This comes from our national curriculum that that are to help them to see the Word right where they're living, and then how to apply it. Mm-hmm. Now, in the afternoon, the Bible says, you see, we're, we're, we're a Bible-based program. The Bible says you don't work, you don't eat. See, we're, we're not do-gooders. We don't want to give people hands out, hand, you know, just hand stuff out right. to them. We want to give them a hand up. Yes. So a hand up means responsibility. Hey, we'll let you in here, and you don't have to pay anything. If you've got some people that can help us, give us $100 a month. But we have... A lawn service, we have a car washes, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. we have a, a painting, and you're going to help out in that. We're going to teach you how to work, and you're going to learn some vocational skills, and it's going to bring money into the ministry. And so that's in the afternoon. Now, our older phase students, when they get to the third phase, that's eight months, what we do is have them work full-time because there's three goals that we're trying to do. First of all, teach them servanthood. You were given something, mm. now give it back. Mm. Second thing, we're trying to get them game day ready. Third thing, we're giving them an exit plan. So what we're doing is the education, the Christian education in the morning, and then you don't work, you don't eat. Teaching them how to pull their own weight. Let's talk about that exit plan. I mean, that's, that's in, and you coming out of prison, you know, you, you know that many guys coming out, going right back in, you know, and, and we have packed meetings and everything. They're trying to mitigate mm-hmm. that, you know, but talk about the, the, the importance and some of the things that you do to help that exit plan so that the people uh, stay on track after they leave the, uh, the, the, the grounds that uh, Teen Challenge has. We have one of our guys that deals with them. We have some testing. When they get into the third phase, we have a career testing where we can actually test and see if they've got the aptitude for something. Mm. You know, uh, we found that certain guys, uh, you know, uh, might want to be a nurse or might want to be, you know, whatever, mechanic or whatever. And what we do is then the guy who's sitting down with them looks at what the test says that they're skilled in and begins to say, how could we get you there? And it might be, well, when you get out of here, you just can't go full-time to to college, or we'll try to see if we can get them full funding to go to college, or sit down and see, you know, what we need to do is get you a job first and see if there's some night college that you can go to to get yourself ready. The other thing that we do, we actually have another center. It's called a re-entry center where they can come and they can go to that center. And for six months, what we do is we point them in the direction and we have board members that can help them. Some board members hire the, the, the guys uh, uh, and we point them in a direction and we're, we're setting up 
a class which is called the third phase class where we're going to teach them resumes and how to mm-hmm. balance checkbooks. Mm-hmm. And so it's practical things, taking the spiritual thing. And if they've really gotten the spiritual thing, one of the things that they've got, if they have a real relationship with God, what God does is give them common sense. And we're going to teach them how to use that common mm-hmm. sense mm-hmm. and go out there. Mm-hmm. So we kind of sit down and, and, and set some goals with them and then try to help them, but kind of point them in the direction and, and teach them how to do it themselves. Mm-hmm. Talk a little bit about uh, the the impact that this has, uh, not, not only people that are living your, leaving your facility, but I would imagine you have people coming back who, who uh, connect again. Any, any quick stories about what's happened a couple of years after people are out and, and, and uh, you, you, you reconnect with them at all? Let me give you one story of a guy... Uh, His name in prison was Dangerous Dan. (laughs) Now, Dangerous Dan was uh, connected with the Mexican Mafia. There's four major uh, uh, gangs in there, and one of them is the Mexican Mafia. He was actually a hitman for the Mexican Mafia. When he came to us, his hand was almost blown off. They had pieced it back together, but it was just full of scars. And Dangerous Dan came and they gave him to me because I was an ex-convict. And many times we went nose to nose. He he was a career uh, a convict 20 years. And I remember wow. him coming to me and asking me one day, well, you know, how am I going to get a job? And what I wanted to tell him is I don't have a clue, bro. <laughs> You've been stabbing and wow. killing. And, you know, I'm, I'm being honest with yes. you. I wanted to say yeah. I don't have a clue. And, you know, I said, you know what? God's made a way for me. So, brother, we mm-hmm. just need to pray. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he began to connect with a person that just came in and did do an odd job. He just kind of started doing handiwork. And actually, she hired him when he went out. Is that right? Wow. He went to Oakland and began begin to do some some things. I think it was a ministry called Love in Action or something. Mm-hmm. But he went to the streets of Oakland, then came, and the center that I'm at, he came there for a while until I came there and was kind of the director there for a while. The last time I heard that he's still on the streets dealing with gangbangers yes. and reaching out yes. and, and just pouring his life out in the streets of Praise Oakland. The Lord. Mm. Uh, yes. We had one guy who who his family was absolutely had two kids. Uh, you know, and this guy just, he didn't know how to, you know, he just didn't know how to do it. And then when it was on a pass and got his wife pregnant and had another kid. And I, I wanted to say, what are you thinking, man? But I didn't, I didn't. And today he's that been, he, that's that discipline. <laughs> Don't open your mouth, Dennis. Shut up. That's what the Holy Spirit was saying. So I said, okay. Okay. <laughs> Today, he's in a church, uh, pretty much involved deeply with the church, has three kids, and he's just going forward in, oh, in the community. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, we're just seeing, and then we have another graduate that when I saw him, and he's been out about two, maybe three years now, he uh, was separated from his children and his wife and really was pretty much a basket case. And we just kind of walked him through those emotions. And he hung in there, and there were times that he just wanted to leave because he didn't see any future. Well, he's not with his wife, 
But two years later, his kids are living with him, and mm. he's working at a church, wow. and he's bringing our guys in in that church and hiring them out. And and it, and and on Thanksgiving, it was last Thanksgiving. I remember sitting there, and I was serving, and I remember seeing him walk through with his kids, and his kids were just loving on him. Oh my! I wish we could keep you for another couple. You know, of hours. the time just goes by way too quick, and and then we don't see you for a couple of years. Dennis, how can people? get a hold of Teen Challenge? They can uh, call area code 209-537-0606, and they can ask for Ron if they want to get somebody in the program. If they're a family member, they can talk to Margo, uh, or they can talk to Elton Nelson, Margo Ely or Elton Nelson. Elton is our chaplain, and he's a great guy. Yes, yeah, a is. wonderful staff. Once again, that phone number, friends, 209-537-0606. You must come back again before Amen. another eon goes by. Okay, <laughs> dear friends, thank you for listening. Uh, here with us on Lighthouse Live on Facebook, wherever you are. Come back again next week. God bless you.